and I'm just probably gonna have to skip my my uh the Sundays off in August. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> There's nothing in the Bible that says uh, pastors are supposed to not preach in August, but I don't know where that came from, but, you know, <laughs> we'll just move it this, 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 this year we'll go around. <laughs> All right. Malachi, chapter 1, verse 6 through verse 14 is what we'll focus on today. All right. Now, in the April... Of 2016, rapper Birdman showed up. (laughs) There you go. He showed up at the Breakfast Club radio show to address some issues that he had with Charlemagne the God and his other radio cohorts. For several months, Charlemagne had been bringing up controversial issues about Birdman. So Birdman came to the show because he wanted to address the issue. And so I want to just read for you just a couple, uh, just a small excerpt, minus the cussing, (laughs) all right, from the interview, which was the briefest interview of all time in Breakfast Breakfast Club (laughs) history. And I believe that what Birdman was demanding is right in line with what God is demanding of us in this section of the book of Malachi. Birdman immediately, and I I, I won't say go watch the video because of the cursing, but if you choose to, it's only two minutes long. But uh, he enters the room. And he immediately says, stop playing with my name. When my name comes up, respect it. Stop playing with my name. I ain't going to say it no more. (laughs) Then he sits down and takes his seat. And Charlemagne asks him, so why come here? And Birdman answered, I'm here, so what's happening? I want to see you. I wanted to talk to you as a man to your face. I knew a few places you was at, and I could have pulled up, but I thought that was gangster. I wanted to come look you in your face like a man and tell you how I feel. And then Charlemagne asked, so what's the issue? And Birdman's response became one of the top ten memes of 2016, he said, ain't no issue. If it was an issue, you would feel me. I just came to let y'all know, put some respect. Not R-E-S-P-E-C-T. He's R-E-S-P-E-K. Put some respect on my name. When y'all say my name, put some respect on it. <laughs> And then he got up and left. (laughs) 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 And then he got up and left. All right. Now, y'all might be wondering, what in the world does this have to do with the book of Malachi? But I think that, that 
what Birdman was requesting is a beautiful paraphrase of Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, through chapter 2, verse 9. But let's listen to the way Malachi says it. (laughs) Malachi chapter 6, verse chapter 1, verse 6. He says, A son honors his father and servants their master. If then I am a father, where is the honor due me? And if I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. You say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food on my altar. And you say, how have we polluted it? By thinking that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not wrong? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not wrong? Try presenting that to your governor. Will he be pleased with you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now implore the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. The fault is yours. Will he show you favor, show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that someone among you would shut the temple doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name is great among the nations. And in every place, incense is offered to my name and a pure offering for my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and the food for it may be despised. What a weariness this is, you say, and you sniff at me, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in the flock and vows to give it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is reverenced among the nations. Let's pray. God, teach us as shepherds and sheep to put some respect on your name. Amen. (laughs) Short and to the point, right? Short and to the point. When we are looking at the book of Malachi, we have to remember that God is speaking to a culture that is centered around the idea of honor and respect. Whether you were a parent or child, a leader or a follower, a master or a slave, the concepts of honor and respect were central to all relationships. If this was true of all human relationships, how much more should it be true of the relationship between God and his people. God is infinitely worthy of our honor and respect. God is our loving creator. He is the king of the universe. He sustains us with life and breath and health and strength. He's gracious and merciful to us, and he's full of compassion, even when we are in rebellion to him. He supplies most of what we want and need. When I say most, 
There's a couple things I'm like, Lord, and you're like, mm-mm, you don't need that, okay? He supplies most of our wants and our needs. He gave us his son as a substitute to die in our place, and this list could go on and on and on. But let me just sum it up by saying that God is the greatest being in the universe who is eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise, all-good, and everywhere present at the same time. He is an infinite being, and as an infinite being, he has infinite value, and he is infinitely uh, worthy of our admiration. But not only does God deserve our respect, he expects our respect. Now, again, look at verse 6 of chapter 1. It says, A son honors his father and servants their master. If then I am a father, where is the honor due me? And if I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord of hosts. God is both our father and our master. And he expects all of us as his children and servants to give him what he deserves. Uh, The rest of the section that we um, have here is just God addressing those who do not give him what he deserves. That's what the rest of the chapter is about. He's saying, I deserve honor and respect as your father and your master. And then he goes on to address those who do not give him respect. Those who do not put respect on his name. Now, this is going to be a tough subject for us to address. <laughs> uh, as I said, each, uh, each week, Malachi, you know, just punches us in the gut and uh, keeps on going, all right? But um, it's important that we take the time to um, look at these parts of the Bible that are difficult, right? Um, the Bible is a two-edged sword, <laughs> okay? Uh, and so it will cut us from time to time, and this is just going to be one of those times, right? Now, this is going to be a tough subject to address because, like the priest in Malachi's day, no one actually thinks that they disrespect God. We all think that we honor God, at least to the best of our ability, but we have to look at this issue from God's perspective. Today, I'm just going to focus on verses 6 through 14, and then next week we'll come back and look at verse, um, chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. But this section here, this is what I, the, if you want the, you know, a bullet point for this, this section, uh, I, I would simply say, God is disrespected when church leaders accept deficient sacrifices on God's behalf. God is disrespected when church leaders accept deficient sacrifices on God's behalf. Let me do it again. All right. (laughs) God is disrespected. It ain't going to be my fault that we leave after 12. It's going to be another one. God is disrespected when church leaders accept deficient sacrifices on God's behalf. Now, as I said, uh, this will be a tough subject for our church because I believe that this 
is one of the biggest problems the upper room has faced over the past 12 years. And I think that in my opinion, it is still uh, a big challenge for us. This issue is why we as a church um, struggle to get and retain leaders and why we have a hard time growing spiritually, numerically, financially, or, or et cetera. Um, let me first start by illustrating this issue. When we started our church, literally our biggest challenge was getting everybody to come to church on time. Okay, so if, if you all remember those who were here, uh, church service used to be at start at 1030. And so but we would start church at 1030, but everybody would show up at 1045. And then the other people would show up at 11. And so for a couple of Sundays, I'm like, I'm waiting around. Well, you know, then I had a bright idea. I said, OK, well, everybody is showing up closer to 11. So let me give people an extra half hour to get ready. OK, so we moved church service to 11 o'clock and then everybody starts showing up at 1115. <laughs> and it wasn't until I started church at 11 and started literally preaching my sermon at 11.01, and people walking in the door like, wait, well, I missed the sermon? That people like, oh, I should actually come on time. So, uh, so that's how we got our start, okay? <laughs> when people got tired of missing the sermon, right, some of us started to change. Now, as we started to grow, people wanted to become leaders of different ministries, or they had different ideas about things they wanted to do uh, in the church. However, our challenge was, and still is, convincing people who want to be leaders that they should actually come to church every Sunday. And on the Sundays that they come, they should come one time. For some reason, people don't understand why that's important that if you're leading people, you should actually come to church. I don't know why that's controversial. <laughs> um, I also, we also found that uh, people who want to preach and teach the Bible actually don't want to study the Bible. So every time a person would, um, tells me, this is what I do now, um, every time a person tells me that they want to lead something or to be a part of something, I give them a test. They don't realize it is a test, but it is a test. Okay, and it is very simple. Immediately, people say, "Well, I want to do X, Y, Z." Okay, here's here's the first thing you gotta do: you gotta come to church, gotta be here 30 minutes before service starts. And literally, 90% of the people drop out just because of that. They was like, "I'll come to church on time." They 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 don't understand what why they should actually have to come to church and on time and come to church early. 30 minutes early, you know, and if they are going to be late or absent, they just have to text me and let me know. And 90% of the people, they drop out because of that. Those people who also want to preach, I have them sit down and, and study the Bible and doctrine with me. Okay. Um, now, these standards, in my opinion, are like super low. Okay. I mean, I, I've been a part of church all my life, and, you know, and 
you know, some of the standards that other people have is like extremely high. It's like you got to you have to give 10 percent or you can't be in ministry. You got to meet me and carry my Bible around everywhere I go. Open the car door for me and and all kinds of crazy stuff. I don't I don't ask any of those things. But I just say if you want to be a leader, just come to church. And so I think that my standards are actually super low, um, but almost no one that has asked me to be a leader um, has moved on because they cannot pass this test. And like most of the big challenges that we have had to tackle as a church, the issue boils down to people feeling that I need to change my standard or As the first group of men that I trained to be ministers told me, there are more of us than there are of you, so you have to go along with what we want. Okay. And all of you all know that did not go over too too well. (laughs) Okay. So I routinely get pressure to change, and pressure always boils down to two things. I've seen this repeatedly over the last... 20 years that I have been involved in ministry in a variety of churches. You know, I've been to a lot of churches and it boils down to this always. It boils down to this. When people get upset, there's always one of two things that people do. These are the threats that church folk have learned over the last two years. I'm I'm 2,000 years. Here's the threat. If I don't get what I want, I'm not going to come or I'm not going to give. I'm not going to come and I'm not going to give. And this threat is so pervasive that most people give in and lower the standard so that they don't run people away. And I get this all the time, especially, you know, my family like, you going to keep you going to run people away. I'm like, maybe they should leave. (laughs) 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 Okay. all right you're like yeah you you know we got we we don't want a whole bunch of empty seats i don't want a whole bunch of seats with babies in them (laughs) all right all right all right we got to grow up okay now why do i why do i go through all of that i didn't go through all of that just to rehash old old stuff right um but but uh, but again i think that the that the, the point I'm trying to make is this, right, is that in, in my personal opinion, I would rather lose people than to lower the standard. Okay. Because my job is to grow people up, right? If we are lowering the standards, right, we're just leaving people where they, where they are, but making them feel like they're mature because we're just giving out positions with no standards. Okay. Now, why do I bring, address this? The issue that I'm describing is similar to what God describes as the issue in the section that we're reading today in Malachi. God is addressing the priest. This section is not about confronting the people directly. He's confronting the people indirectly. He is addressing the priest, what the priest have done. He's addressing the priest because they are teaching and allowing people to disrespect God's name. The first way the priest is doing this is by allowing people to bring deficient offerings to God. God had laid out what type of offerings that he would and would not accept. He wanted certain offerings, 
And he said, anything that is sick or lame or deformed cannot be brought to him as an offering. God set a high standard, but the people didn't want to bring God their best. They wanted to give God what was left over. They wanted the best for themselves, and they thought that God should just be happy that they showed up and brought him anything. I don't know how many times I've heard it. Y'all should just be happy I'm here. Okay. <laughs> right. This, this is a volunteer organization. And I'm like, no, actually it's not. You're a slave. You were purchased by Jesus' blood. We should not be happy you're here. You should be happy God allowed you to be here. Right. The priest, the religious leaders who served on God's behalf, whose job it is to make sure that the people brought an offering that was acceptable and pleasing to God, lowered the standard in order to please the people. Now, the question is, well, why did they lower the standard in order to please the people? And I think it boils down to this, and I think we'll see this in the, when we get into chapter 2. The reason they lowered the standard in order to please the people was because the people paid their salary. And hence the issue, when I don't get my way, I'm not going to come, and I'm not going to give. And we'll just wait you out. And so because the offerings that the people brought, because the priests were not allowed to have land or to work, they lived off of the tithe and offerings that the people brought. And so if I make you upset and I don't bring my offerings, I don't know how I'm going to eat. And so, well, if the people are going to bring deficient offerings, well, I just have to take something because I don't want to have nothing. (laughs) Right? The root issue of why both the people and the priests and us, for that matter, lower the standards and disrespect God's name is that we easily lose sight of the greatness of God. We easily lose sight of the greatness of God. Now, notice in this passage that we just read that three times God refers to to how great his name is. Look at verse 11. It reads, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name is great among the nations, and in every place incense is offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 14 Cursed be the cheat who has a male in the flock and vows to give it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is reverenced among the nations. See, God keeps coming to them and he's trying to help them to understand what the issue is. The issue is not that the people are bringing a deficient offering to God. That is just a symptom of the real problem. The real problem is that we have lost sight of the greatness of God, so we think God should just take whatever we give him. God is great and majestic and awesome, and he deserves 
and he requires our honor and respect. And we gladly used to give that to him in the beginning of our relationships. We all know all of us probably used to be that annoying Christian, right? Every time you at the water cooler, people just talking and then you show up and they walk away. because they go, Here they go. They're going to talk about the Bible again. Right. I mean, it was just if you were just so passionate about God. Right. Right. You, 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 you couldn't wait to get to church. You couldn't wait to wake up and pray and read God's word. Right. But now. The things that used to strike us with awe about God are just now commonplace. Right. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> We, like the Israelites, often lose sight of the greatness of God without even knowing it. And the reason that we lose sight of the greatness of God without even noticing it is because it's hard to recognize this because just like the Israelites, what we do is we keep saying what we know is right, right? So if I were to say to everybody, isn't God great? Nobody in here be like, mm, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. No, I'm, I'm not, I don't know if he's still great, right? We immediately will say, yeah, God is great, right? We teach our children before they eat to say, God is great. God is good, right? <laughs> we, it's something that we know by habit, right? So it, it's hard for us to recognize when we have lost sight of the greatness of God. And the, the reason that it is difficult is because of the same reason that the people in Malachi's day couldn't recognize it. They continued their religious practices even though their hearts were not in it. We're not talking about the people who say, oh, I don't know if I'm, I'm tired of this church thing, and so they just, they just check out and don't come. Okay, we, we can put them in one category and that's just it. We're talking about people who continue to come to the temple every single week. Okay, they continue to offer their sacrifices. They continue their religious practices as if nothing was wrong. So they didn't realize that they had really lost sight of the greatness of God because the religious activity makes us think that everything is still going well. <laughs> I know many of us will object, but let us look at the passage, the passage as we see it and see how this applies to us. Bless you. Let us first look at what was going on? What was the, the nation of Israel doing? Okay. Verse six through eight. We've already read uh, the, the beginning part where he says, I'm, if I, you know, I'm a father I'm and a master with, with my honor. Listen to what he goes on to say. Um, he says, um, if I'm a master, where's the respect due me, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. You say, how have we despised your name? And listen to what they were doing. By offering polluted food on my altar, and you say, how have we polluted it? By thinking that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not wrong? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not wrong? Skip over to verse 12. 
but you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and the food on it is um, maybe despised. What a weariness this is, you say, and you sniff at me, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the chief who has a male in the flock and vows to give it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. Now notice what they were doing. They were bringing the animals that were sick, animals that were lame, couldn't walk. They, they dragged their offering to the Lord. <laughs> okay. He says they were taking their offerings by violence. They were stealing the offering and then bringing it and offering it to the Lord. <laughs> now, you, that's got to that's be pretty low. I got to, you know, I want to give the Lord something. It's like you see your neighbor, you beat your neighbor up and take that offering and then present it to the Lord as if it's yours. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or they were making a vow, God, if you get me out of this, I promise you, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And then the Lord gets you out and you'll be like, nah, I'm not really going to do that. <laughs> right? He says, they were making a vow to the Lord, right? And then they go back and bring something that's blemished instead. Lord, I'm going to give you my best. And then you go and find your worst. Okay. The priests, the religious leaders, the pastors, if you will, we're allowing people to bring God deficient offerings. Instead of bringing God their first and their best, they brought God what they did not want. Right? What, what I'm going to do with a, 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 a cow that can't walk? <laughs> what I'm going to do with that? Okay, well, let's, a bull that can't walk. Let me just let me sacrifice that to the Lord. I wasn't going to eat that anyway. I don't know if something wrong with that. Right? They're giving God what they themselves no longer want. But the law required them to bring animals that had no blemish or defect. But instead, they brought God the animals that were lame and were sick. But they were still coming to church, right? They, they were still giving God something, right? That, that, that counts for something, right? They continued their religious practices, but their hearts were not in it. What I'm trying to get us to see is that you can come to church every Sunday. You can sing praise and worship songs in church or at home. You could come and hear the word, but none of that is proof that your heart is right with God. Coming to church doesn't mean that your heart is right with God. Singing songs doesn't mean that your heart is right with God. Stephen hit the little key and you dance and shout and all that other stuff. That does not mean that your heart is right with God. <laughs> All of these things can be done out of habit. I was raised to go to church, so I go to church. I literally, uh, so, <laughs> well, never mind. The, pr <laughs> the proof that your heart is right with God, <laughs> the proof that your heart is right with God is whether or not you are giving God an acceptable sacrifice. That's the proof. Are you giving God an acceptable sacrifice. Now, I guess the easiest example of this is going to be Cain and Abel, right? Cain brought an offering to God. Abel brought his best. Both of them brought an offering to God, but the Bible says that God respected Abel and his offering 
and he respect he did not respect Cain and his offering. Now notice it said he did not respect Cain, so he did not accept his offering. You see, we can present things to the Lord, but it's not acceptable if we're doing it from the wrong heart. Because if God rejects us, he's going to reject our offering. Now, I know that some people are going to immediately check out because they think that this is going to be a sermon about giving money. Uh, however, that is only a small part of, of the issue, and it's not the issue that I'm going to address today. Okay? Uh, we'll see that when we get to the end of chapter 3. Okay? <laughs> okay? That's, not, that's not the issue for today. When I say that we need to give God an acceptable sacrifice, I'm talking about your life. We don't need bulls and goats to make atonement for our sin before God anymore. Jesus took care of that on the cross when he sacrificed himself once and for all. So we don't, we don't need these sacrifices to, to do that. And we don't even need uh, to offer peace offerings to God anymore. Okay? We, don't, we don't need any of, of these types of, of offerings. But what we still need to do is give God a sacrifice. Okay? Romans 12, 1 and 2, all of us know, we could probably all uh, say it from memory, but I'll, I'll read it because we're using a, a different version, and I keep messing up, keep quoting old versions when we using a new revised standard, so let me read it. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the sacrifice that God is requiring of us is no longer going to be bulls and goats. The sacrifices that God are requiring of us is us. You are the sacrifice. Your choices your decisions, the way you live, the things that you do, right? We are still required to give God a sacrifice. The only difference now is that the sacrifice is you. And just like Cain and Abel, God will only accept what you offer him if your heart is in the right place. And that is the crux of the matter. Is your heart in the right place? Now, too often we tend to kind of rush past that question, right? Because we'd be like, oh, yeah, psh, I know my heart is in the right place. But let us really take time to ask ourselves that question and, and, and think through it. Is your heart in the right place with God? Now, according to the text, I think the question can only be answered by answering a deeper question. There is a deeper question that we have to ask in order to answer the question, is our heart in the right place with God? And that question is, are you giving God your best? Are you giving God your best? Now, just to get this out of the way, because I know, you know, people like, I know you're going to say it. Okay. When you give God to God financially, do you give God your best? Or do you give him what's left over? Right. 
the, the reason it's a sacrifice is because it's supposed to hurt. <laughs> okay. Or do we just give God something that won't affect us any way or another? Well, you know, I give and I'm like, I'm not going to miss that. Your heart is in the wrong place. Moving on. <laughs> Let me ask a couple questions. Help us move through this. When it comes to your time, do you give God your best or what you have left over? Right? It's easy. Everybody, okay, oh, the money thing. Oh, okay, yeah, we just, okay, let's give, 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 give. Okay. But when it comes to your time, do you give God your best or do you give him what is left over? Do you come to church only when you feel like it? I don't feel like it today. And so you stay home? Or do you come when you don't feel like it? Now listen, you all, most people think that I want to be here every Sunday. Listen, let me tell you something. (laughs) I'm a human being just like you all, okay? I do not feel like being here every week, (laughs) okay? (laughs) But I'm here. Not because I have to be, because like, you know, someone said to me, <laughs> like somebody said to me uh, uh, when we reopened, they were like, I don't even understand. Like, we're the only black church that's still open. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, we black, we supposed to be closed. I don't know. I didn't know that. I, really, I didn't know that, you know, but, um, but I'm here because I love the Lord. And I love being with his people. And so on the weeks that I don't feel like coming, I still get myself up because I'm not coming for myself. (laughs) I'm coming because I want to meet the Lord and I want to meet you. On Sunday mornings, Do you get up in time to spend with God and prepare your heart for worship and the word? Or do you get up and haphazardly pedal around? No. Can I get away with not ironing this shirt? You know, we we just pedal around until it's time to leave the house. Or do we get up? And we say, I got I to spend time with God. I want to pray. I want to prepare my heart because I want to hear his word so that my heart is right. So that when the word goes into the soil of my heart, it produces fruit. And do we just get up and like, oh, shoot, church started at 11. It's 10, 15. I got it. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, and we out the house, right? Oh, are we giving God our best? Or are we giving God what's left over? Do you get to church earlier on time to fellowship with others and prepare your heart for worship and the word? Or do you stroll in at whatever time you get there? Mm, They may be happy I'm just here. Do you spend time with God throughout the day? Or do you cram a few minutes in before going to sleep? Wake up, you go all day long. Don't read the word. You know, the only time you pray is to say your grace. 
And then it's like you get in the bed and I'm like, oh, shoot, I didn't pray. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Just say a few words to the Lord as you dozing off. After you've watched five hours, the national study, stu- national study shows, you watch five hours of TV. <laughs> you spend eight hours at work, two hours in traffic. You've hung out and sp- did all the things that you want. And then the national survey said that most Christians only spend five minutes or less in prayer every day. Are we giving God our best? Or are we giving God what's left over? But we'll say, man, my heart is right with God because I pray, I pray every day. I read my Bible every day. I got up at the church. But are you giving God your best? Or are we giving him what's left over? When it comes to your mind and your memory, are you giving God your best or are you giving God what is left over? Are you able to remember your favorite song or your favorite sports stats or whatever? But for some reason, you can't memorize any scripture. You know, I, mean, I, I, I just can't memorize scripture. But why is that? How, why is it that you can you, you know the lyrics from songs from like 1970? Because you just can't remember scripture. Why, why is that? It's because we're not giving God our best. Because we spend time with stuff to learn things that we feel is important. When it comes to your body, are you giving God your best or are you giving him what is left over? Are you remaining sexually pure or are you just out taking test drives to see if you want to buy the car? Or whatever excuse we use. You know, my personal favorite, my personal favorite is, well, God gave me these desires. It's like, you know, it's it's God's fault. You know, are we giving God our best? Or are we giving God what's left over? Like they used to say, amen, lights. <laughs> when it comes to your e- eyes and ears, are you giving God your best or are you giving him what is left over? Are you willing to put on these two screens in front of all of us your Internet history from this past week? <laughs> Everything that you've watched on TV or the Internet and everything that you've listened to, are we giving God our best or are we giving God what we think he deserves? Are you serving God? I'm sorry. Skip. And to the main point so that we don't miss the point of this passage. Okay. If you are a leader or on a ministry, Are you giving God your best or are you giving him what is left over? Are you serving God with all of your heart or is your service at best half-hearted? Are you putting forth your best effort to make your ministry shine for the Lord or should he just be happy that you're here? Do you have high standards for yourself and your ministry or can people pretty much do whatever they want on your ministry just because you want people on your ministry? 
I could keep going on and on and on, but I only have one person from security here today, and I I want to make sure I I want to make sure I get to my car safely. <laughs> okay, but what 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 I'm trying to get us to see that it is entirely possible for you and I. Yeah, you and I. That's correct. For you and I to be engaged in religious practices without actually being in right standing with God. We could be engaged in all kinds of religious practices. And our heart is nowhere near God. Because the proof that our hearts are in the right place with God is we are giving God our best in everything, not just giving God what we think he should deserve. Now, an interesting point that God raises with the priest is that they are allowing these deficient sacrifices to continue. They are allowing the people to feel comfortable with throwing God scraps Instead of raising the standard and forcing people to come up to it. I don't know how many times I've heard this, uh, this, this argument on a variety of issues, including social issues. Well, you have to be very careful. You don't want to say certain things, preach certain things. You know, well, if the church takes a hard stance on this, people are just going to, you know, leave and not come back. Let them go. <laughs> Let them go. Jesus was not chasing people around. Jesus was just walk along and they would come and Jesus. Well, Jesus, you know, I'm a good person. Well, how do you know? He's like, well, you know, I give to the poor. I follow the law. And Jesus said, okay, well, sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor and you'll have great rewards in heaven. And what did God do? Oh, no, I don't know about all of that. You know what I'm about? <laughs> I don't know about all. And Jesus went like, well, wait a minute. Hold on, hold on. Come back, come back. No, I want you to come on, come on. Jesus did not chase people. He didn't. We cannot lower God's standards in order to bring more people in. Because what you're going to have is the situation that the American church is in. But anything goes. And we aren't really sure if half these people are even saved. <laughs> like, did they, do we, do you, like, do you know the Lord? I mean, it's, look at a survey. And, uh, you know, I think I was listening to it the other day. I think it says um, something to the fact of like half the people in, uh, half the people who attend church on Sunday mornings don't believe in the Trinity, that Jesus, you know, was God, that he rose from the dead. <laughs> you know, 69% of people who profess to be Christians believe that, you know, using astrology and all of this other stuff is an adequate means of knowing God's will for their life. All kinds of crap. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if these people know the Lord. <laughs> but it's because, because we want people in the seats to be up. We lower the standard so that we get as many people in as possible. But we really aren't sure if, the, if a lot of these people even know the Lord. But as long as they come, oh, yeah, they, got, they know the Lord, they come to church.
God is asking the priests, the religious leaders, the pastors, a very serious question. He's asking that same question, I believe, to us. In verse 8, he says, Try presenting that to your governor. You're bringing sick and lame animals as a sacrifice. Offer that to your governor and see how he will treat you. Think about this for a moment. I use this example illustration because I know it will hit the, the most people. If today I announced that next Sunday Barack Obama was going to be here, nobody would be absent or late. <laughs> you about to get kicked out. <laughs> You would get up early. You would get up early. I don't know about the men, but the women, you'd be standing in your closet like. <laughs> you, you, you would put a lot of energy and effort into what you were going to wear. You would come to church early so that you would talk to him and stuff. The people on the different ministries, you would be here to make sure that the church is clean, looks right. Everything would be in order. But we're talking about the king of the universe. We sit up all night on Saturday watching whatever shows, God forbid, being places that we don't want to talk about in the church on Sunday. We wake up late, throw something on, no thought to it. If I don't feel like coming because I was hanging out somewhere last night, I just don't go. If I go, it doesn't really matter what time I show up. You know, I come in 11.15, 11 11.30, whatever, I'm here. I made it. If Obama was here, we would stay late trying to talk and shake his hand and stuff. But, but on a regular Sunday, we try our best. We end up knocking people over <laughs> trying to get out the door 60 seconds before the benediction is done. After the, within 60 seconds, half of us are already out the door after the benediction. There's no fellowship, there's no standing around, there's no waiting, there's no nothing. Because we are trying to get on with the rest of our day. We're just trying to get on with the rest of our day. We, we've done, we've done our, our part. We come to church, you know, pastor don't realize he said service is supposed to be over at 12 and he's still talking. <laughs> We, we got it's the 4th of July. We got to get to the cookouts. We got to get on with the rest of our day. But we're talking about the king of the universe. 
God is so tired of this deficient worship. Our sacrifice less sacrifices because that's what it is. Right. I heard someone say that the problem with Christianity is that most of us are practicing a cross less Christianity. Right. A Christianity that costs us nothing. That's what we want. God forbid the air is not working in the summertime and there's and there's there's no seats to sit on. Most people wouldn't be in church. Right. We, we, We just aren't used to something costing us something. But you look at these people in other countries. I mean, I I literally watched a video of people in China where they cannot have access to Bibles. They somebody smuggled some Bibles in and people were literally on the ground crying because they had access to God's word. (laughs) Just went to this conference and. And um, David Platt was talking about some uh, missionaries that he served. And he talks about, can't say what, what, what the country, but he says that, that they have one Bible in the whole village. And they hide this Bible in a cave. And at night, they sneak out to the cave, bring the Bible back so that they can all read the word of God. And then they have to go put the Bible back in the cave before daylight Because if you are caught with a Bible, you and your entire family are going to be killed. And guess what? They go get that Bible every night. Now, how many of us is going out there to get the Bible? They're like, Tang, it's your turn. Go get the Bible. We, we, we are offering God deficient worship because our sacrifices are sacrificed less. <laughs> We're not putting respect on God's name. So verse 10, he says, shut down the church, close the doors. Listen to what he says, verse 10. Oh, that someone among you would shut the temple doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain. Lock the doors, people. Lock the church. I'd rather you all not come here to worship me if you're not going to give me what I deserve. We forget the fact that God does not need us. The temple, sacrifices, priests, pastors, the church does not exist because God needs them or us. They exist because we need God. These are things we need in order to have a good relationship with God. But God is clear. He would rather us not come to church than to come and not give him his proper respect. Lock the doors, turn off the lights. I don't don't want y'all in my presence. This comes along with a threat. And the threat is, I can replace you. Now, as we close, I want us to look back at verses 11 and 14. And notice what God is saying. We, we love this quote, you know, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, his name is worthy to be praised. That is a threat. I'm like, I'm like, is that, should we really quote that every Sunday? That's a threat. Listen to what God is saying, okay? Verse 10, he's saying 
lock the doors. I don't want you all in here, right? I'm not going to accept any offerings from you. Verse 11, for the reason I want you to lock the door, the reason I will not accept your offering is because, verse 11, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name is great among the nations, and, every, in, and in every place incense is offered to my name, and a pure offering, for my name is great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, says the same thing in verse 14, curse be the cheat who has a male in the flock and vows to give it, excuse me, give it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is reverence among the nations. Now, why does God keep talking to his special people? Right. We're God, we are God's chosen people. Right. And, and, and they felt that the Gentiles. Right. Eventually, the Jews called them dogs. Right. If you aren't a Jew, you're a dog. OK. Why does God keep talking to his chosen people and saying, close the door, turn off the lights. We done with this. My name is going to be referenced by the nations. God is issuing a threat. If you don't get this right, I'm going to replace you with people who will give me glory. And we know that this is what he's saying because this is exactly what the New Testament is referencing when it talks about how the church has replaced the nation of Israel. Y'all not going to do it right? Don't worry. I'm going to find people who will. And he's brought people from every nation and every language and every tribe, and he brings them together in Christ so that now in the church, Paul says in the book of Ephesians, in the church, God is accomplishing his plan in the church instead of in the nation of Israel. Now, what we still have to recognize is that each individual church does not have to exist. Because Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2 to the church of Ephesus, I know your works. You're doing all of these things. I have one thing against you. You have left your first love. You need to repent and do the first works, because if you don't, I will come and I will snatch your candlestick away. He's not, I'm going to shut your church down. You, he said, I know your works. And he lists all of the good works and all of the good deeds that they were doing. But he says, you're doing all of that stuff, but you've left me. Your first love. And because you've left me your first love, I'm going to shut your church down. And the sad thing to say is that the church of Ephesus did not learn. There is no church in Ephesus today. It was shut down. Just, a, just about three centuries after, <laughs> after John wrote that letter to them. The whole city was destroyed. God does not play with his name. Now, I want us to keep our focus on this, uh, the, the main focus of this passage. The main focus of this passage is addressing leaders, okay? Leaders, okay? Um, and it is the leader's responsibility as the messenger of the Lord, as Malachi calls them, to maintain these high standards and not teach people that it is okay to despise God's name by allowing and accepting substandard sacrifices. And Malachi goes on to address in chapter 2, uh, that as we'll look at next Sunday, he goes on to address what happens when leaders fail to maintain their responsibility. And we'll pick that up 
on next Sunday, right? So um, you can, um, can uh, continue reading um, chapter 2. We'll look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. I want you to read that five times. Make sure we keep keeping this up. But um, what I want us to, to see here is the great responsibility that God placed on leaders, okay? Now, um, I, I guess we would have to define what do we mean by leader, because people are like, well, I'm not really a leader. <laughs> okay. Um, but it's interesting that he's addressing the priest. Okay. And we know that, uh, that the priest came from the tribe of Levi. And the, of course, the descendants of Aaron were, were, were officially the priest, right? But, but the Levites also had responsibilities. The, the whole tribe, right? They were the musicians, the singers. They were the ones who were the gatekeepers, called those ushers. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, right? So, so, so the, the, the term leader is very broad, <laughs> okay? That, so he, he's, a, he's addressing anyone who has a responsibility of, uh, of leadership. And if you're serving in God's church, you have a, a position of leadership, okay? So we will see what he has to say to all leaders Next Sunday. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us to be able to come and to look at your word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, Hebrews says that your word is a two-edged sword. Right? It divides between soul and spirit. And it exposes us to the one with whom we must give an account. We thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you don't leave us uh, in our sin or in our shortcomings. You don't leave us to be self-deceived, thinking that we are somewhere that we're not. You love us so much that you tell us the truth, even when it hurts. I pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to process through all that has been said today. The truth be told, all of us, uh, somewhere in our lives are not giving you our best. In some places in our lives, Lord, we, we're giving you our best, but in other places, Lord, we, we're giving you what we think you deserve. Or, we, or, or worse, we aren't even thinking about it. We're just giving you whatever is left over. But when you demonstrated your love for us, you proved it by giving us your best. You gave us your only begotten son. And your only begotten son gave us his best. He gave up his life so that we can have eternal life. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us how to be living sacrifices so that we can learn how to prove and demonstrate what is your good and acceptable and perfect will. Ask, Lord, that you would continue to grow us and develop us. Help us never to, to cover deficient sacrifices with work because you see through those things. You don't want the work. You want our hearts. You want us to continue to walk with you, our first love. And the reason, the way that we show that you are our first love is by giving you our best. We thank you, Lord, for all these things. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you, Lord, that regardless of, of, of how we fail you, you are continuing to be faithful. 
but you will also discipline us to get us on the right path. I ask, Lord, that you would help us as we work this, our way through the book of Malachi. Uh, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to, to take these difficult lessons and that you would really grow us up so that we could honor you and your great name among the nations. We thank you now for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.